0: let's have a word of prayer god thank you so much that you have given us a beautiful day to live in a day in which we can rejoice because you are in it you have given us this time together now so that we can share with each other so that we can learn from your word so that we can open ourselves to the special way in which your spirit speaks truth and encouragement and correction to our lives as we continue to learn how to walk with Christ in the blessed pathways that he offers us. We thank you for these things in his name. Amen. Okay, friends, today we come... uh Uh-oh, this is going to be fascinating. Oh, look at this. Sorry, this is candy corn. I have to be... uh, (laughs) That's all I'm going to think of for the next 45 minutes is that I have candy corn. (laughs) Small blessings. Oh, that's so exciting. This is one of the best candies in the world right here. Do you realize that? Yes, it's mostly wax. I understand that. Don't go there with me, but such is life. Okay, Genesis chapter 22. This story is a story you've heard. It's like One of the most familiar passages of the Old Testament probably to you. And because you and I have heard it so many times and thought about it and talked about it, we think we know everything it says. And we might, but even more so we need to put on that mode of thinking that opens ourselves to either hear the story again, or to hear it with the wisdom that we now have gained after having heard it the last time, or perhaps to hear something new for our lives, okay? So let me read through this. It's a a long uh, chapter in a way, uh, but there's a lot here. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, "'Stay here with the donkey. "'The boy and I will go over there. "'We will worship, and then we will come back to you.' "'Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering "'and laid it on his son Isaac, "'and he himself carried the fire and the knife. "'So the two of them walked on together. "'Isaac said to his father Abraham, "'Father,' and he said, "'Here I am, my son.' "'He said, "'The fire and the wood are here, "'but where is the lamb for a burnt offering?' Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son, but The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will indeed bless you and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told Abraham, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Camul, the father of Adam, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Terba, Geham, Tahash, and Makah. Thus endeth the reading of the word. <laughs> Any of you go to churches where that was said after the scripture was read? That was said in my home church. Sure, I remember that. Thus endeth the reading of the word. Okay, a very quick sort of parenthetical statement the last few verses of this chapter that give some genealogy about people who were born to uh, Abraham's family uh, with names that we have no idea how to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> It is important all through Genesis that the story of Abraham, in a sense our story, is located in time and space and in history. These are real people in a real place in real time. There is not a complete genealogy. We don't have a list of everybody who was born and when they were born and what all went on. We have enough to tell us though, this is who we are. This is what's going on. And so we're gonna move on from that topic, but I simply mention that because other places we will find long lists of the names. And it's important to know who you are and where you are in space and time and history. That's part of what the genealogies are about. Of course, the big story of chapter 22 is the story of Abraham and Isaac and what some people call the sacrifice of Isaac. Even though Isaac was not ultimately sacrificed, that's the direction of the story. In a way, what we need to do today is talk about the deep theological existential issues and questions that this story raises. There are big questions about God, big questions about how God deals with us, big questions about what we do with this uh, loving, but also mysterious, also calling God who talks to us, okay? So um, I'm going to invite your participation quite a lot, and that means I'm warning Terry and whoever else to grab the microphones and be ready to run around. Where did Terry go? Did she leave already? Oh, she's, there we go, oh. She, okay, good. Somebody grab the microphones. Um, so let's talk about this question. The big story of Abraham is Abraham, I'm going to make a big family out of you through your son. And we have waited and waited and waited and gone down this rabbit hole and gone off on that detour. And finally, Isaac is born. And then all of a sudden, God says, kill him. What's that about? What's that about? Does God do that? Does God test us? How many of you would say, let's just do this. I know it's complicated, but I'm going to force you to make a decision. Yes or no. Does God test us? How many say yes? Okay. How many say no? Okay. Good. You all know your Bible, don't you? (laughs) After 25 years of teaching, you finally learn something. No, (laughs) no. Right? It is certainly the case that we are tested in life, are we not? How many of you are going through a test right now? Some kind of situation in your life that's not all that easy to deal with. Right? How many of you have gone through tests in life before? Of course. Of course. So whether it is God who brings those tests to us or not, we at least can say that life is full of testing. And of course, then we need to go on and say that God himself actually introduced tests in our life. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Why would God test us? Why would God make us go through suffering and struggle and questioning and and trying to figure out what in the world God is doing. Raise your hand up, we got Jenna over here, needs the mic. There we go.
1: Thank you. I think um, uh, the first thing that came to mind was, so I will lean into him. Uh huh. So I will become closer to him in a sense. Mm-hmm. And also for my betterment, my being refined, Mm -hmm. Um, we don't grow mature through the easy stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: also that also creates the challenges, create compassion in us for others. Mm -hmm. So we can be of service to others because of what we've been through.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Wow. That's four good answers. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're done early. Let's go. No. (laughs) Let's see if I can remember it right. We are tested, God even tests us, so that we have an opportunity to grow, right? we How many of you would agree that you grow the most through the trials and tribulations of life, right? You learn the most from your mistakes, from the mistakes of others, from the hard things that come. That's actually one of the ways, one of the primary ways that we grow spiritually is when we are are invited or given the opportunity to, using Jenna's words, to lean into God. Now, when a test comes in life, what are your options? You mentioned one, to lean into God. What's the opposite of leaning into God? Leaning away from God. How many of you have ever questioned in yourself when something horrible is going on, How many of you have questioned whether or not there is a God or whether God loves you or whether God is powerless to do anything about the situation? Right. Just because there is a test in life doesn't automatically mean you're going to move toward God. It might mean that you move away from God. But that's a decision you make in the freedom that God gives you to respond to him or not. Right. So the tests that come give us an opportunity to move toward God, and in moving toward God, we grow spiritually, okay? How many of you feel like you're spiritually mature enough? You don't need any more tests in the world. I I don't want to grow anymore, (laughs) right, right? I don't know anyone, and even in the Bible, I don't know anyone who wants something hard to happen so that they can grow, but that is the way life is. And of course, then in the midst of that, in the midst of that, one of the ways that we grow is in becoming more compassionate, more understanding, more attuned to the rest of the suffering that's in the world. There's an interesting psychological thing that goes on us. When we are hurting a lot and we see hurt somewhere else, it makes us hurt even more. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense? And, and, and we don't want to hurt, but that hurting then helps us be more open to what's actually going on in someone else's life and actually gives us the opportunity to learn more about what God experiences. Do you think that God can hurt, that God can suffer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's hard to have this conversation as a Christian and, and limit it only to the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? Because when we think about suffering, we think about God on the cross, God's suffering. Fascinating. Fascinating. Now, let's go back to the question. Let's go back to the question of God testing us. And we've come up with some great things that happen as a result or could happen as a result of God testing us, right? What happens if someone decides not to lean into God, to lean away from God as a result of the tests that come in life? It's sad. People can become angry, bitter, Depressed, cynical, faithless. That's a real option. It's a real option. So maybe we need to ask God, God, why do you test people when it's possible that they're going to move away from you? Any answers to that? Yeah. Microphone. I want to be sure, we're, we're recording this for posterity 8,000 years from now. Somebody's going to be flipping through.
2: Isn't it nice I won't be here?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't plan to be here either. <laughs> Go ahead.
2: I was going to say, usually when somebody is that angry and pulls away, God waits uh-huh. until they're ready to come back, and then he calls them back. Yeah. Uh, it's rare when somebody has known the Lord mm-hmm. and never come back.
0: Mm-hmm hmm I agree. I agree. Yeah, good point. What else would we say about that? What else might we say? Where's, oh, there we go. Good. We need a little, you remember Kmart used to have those blue light, blue flashing lights on the top of stuff. We need a blue flashing light. Yeah, Susan.
3: When I've been tested, it makes me look at myself to find out what I'm doing that's against him that he is giving me this test.
0: Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh.
3: If it's a disappointment, I look at it as if it is a door closing because he has a better door there for me. Mm -hmm. And even though some of the consequences have been dire, I have lived through them and have been grateful for each one because it has given me a better understanding of his love for me and the trials he puts me through and an awareness of just how important it is to understand why he does these things. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That there's a lot of deep wisdom, uh, in, in what you said. Um, sometimes it's not God who is the author of the test. Who else can create testing? Who else can bring pain and suffering into your life? Satan. Oh, who said children? Bless you, my child. Other people can create suffering and pain and heartache in your life. Who else can create suffering and pain and heartache in your life? You. You. And so maybe it doesn't come from God at all. But still it's pain and suffering, right? And what Susan said was, when something happens or there's a situation, we'll say, we look to ourselves and say, have I had any part in this? Right? That's a great question to ask. Sometimes the answer is in no way, shape, or form. Right? something terrible happens like Job. Okay. Yeah. Like Job. Exactly. Exactly. Was there a hand? Yes. Yes. Laura. Oh, wait, we got the mic over here and then we'll take it to Laura. Yes.
3: You asked, um, why would God, uh, give us trials, uh, if some people would turn away from him,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: it could be because they become angry and bitter and, and we've known people to, have that persona about them. they mm-hmm. So perhaps, and, and many of us don't like to be around people who are that way. Absolutely. And that could be another example. Uh, maybe God has this plan uh, for us to look at those people and see what the effect is, that the, their choices that they made, mm-hmm. we wouldn't want for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it could be a backhanded uh, way of people say, no, I don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me choose this other path. Mm-hmm,
0: hmm Yeah, that reminds, excellent point. It reminds me of a bumper sticker I saw one time, and I think I have this right. It says, did you ever stop to think that your life might, the reason your life is the way it is is because you need to be a bad example to somebody else? Right? Right? And I, I often, um, I, I say this more and more, I guess I'm thinking about it more and more. Um, I, I think and I've never never and I never will study it enough to prove it but this is a this is an anecdotal observation. My observation is is that as people grow older they either become more joyful, more at peace, more loving and wonderful and kind or the opposite. And I don't like being around the people that are the opposite. And so if I, at some point I'm going to decide I don't want people in my life anymore, and I'm just going to become angry, bitter, mean, okay, and then you'll all go away, right? But if I don't decide that, then I want, so that's exactly right. Now that we would have to ask another question. So what about that person who is angry and bitter and has chosen to move away from God? What does God do with that person, right? And I, I always lean back on a loving and merciful God, that if, that if you've been chosen to be the negative example, um, that's partly your decision. God judges that. Um, and, and so I'm not giving up on them either. But, but the pain and suffering gets interiorized. And, and it, it ultimately, you've all heard this, your own anger, your own bitterness, your own whatever ultimately only hurts you, right? Right? My counselor's nodding her head. This is good, yeah. <laughs> I'm in dangerous territory when I go into psychology because there are professionals here, right? But that's exactly what happens. It just eats you up. Yeah, excellent point. Excellent point. Okay, Laura? I think God
3: wants us to be intentional. And I think when some of these tests come up, it's an opportunity to really be intentional of what we feel towards God and not just be kind of lukewarm.
0: Yeah, yeah. God wants us to be intentional to actually take a situation to look at it to say okay now what am i going to do with this and you you oftentimes you have to step outside of that that's really i hadn't thought of this but that's kind of what happens in job isn't it Right. Everything's taken away from Job. There's no good reason for it because Job hasn't deserved it, so to speak. And his three friends sit there and help him unpack all of that and talk about all of that. And they end up being the ones who give all the bad answers. And Job is the one who finally gives the good answers to all that. Right. That's partly why we need the Christian community. Have you ever thought about that? We need each other to walk through the things of life because bad stuff is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, over here.
1: This discussion kind of makes me um, think about people who believe that God is up there saying, let's see, I'm going to give you a deformed child and I'm going to give you cancer. And I mean, I, re- I remember having someone say to one of my mothers who had a child with a problem and said, well, God never sends you something that you can't handle, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? and. I don't see God that way. Mm-hmm. I don't see God up there saying inflicting things like that on the people he loves:
0: Yeah, so where does all that stuff come from then? yeah,
1: yeah. I, that's what I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. so that's a really good good question to ask that takes us back to the heart of, of, of one of the main theological issues of this story. If God is a loving God, then how could God? either actively cause or passively allow bad stuff to happen. Okay? Think about it. I hadn't thought about this before. But think of the post-traumatic stress induced in young Isaac by the fact that his father takes him and binds him and puts a knife to his neck. Okay? Or think about the pain and suffering with all the children who are born deformed or who die. There's lots of pain and suffering in the world that apparently God allows to happen. He certainly hasn't stopped it yet, right? So how could a loving God do that is a question we have to ask. One of the questions that I intend to ask the Lord, and maybe I'll never get to because I've already told him what the question is, and I shouldn't ask the question, but I'll ask the question anyway. God, why did you make it so that we grow the most when there's the most pain and suffering? couldn't you have figured out a different way? I have an answer that I think God might say to me, and that is that there is no other way because the only way I can understand peace, love, joy, contentment, happiness is if I understand what the opposite of those things is. And the only way I'll understand the opposite is if The opposite comes into my life. And so then I have to say, if that's the way things have to be, then what does God eventually do with all of that? Right? What does God do with that? The answer is in this story. God wins. God wins. God ultimately conquers all of that. Right? And the way Abraham puts it here, when he says to Isaac, says, Dad, we're up here to, to uh, do a sacrifice. And Isaac is old enough to understand some of this stuff. He said, where's the, where's the sheep? Where's the ram? Where's the sacrifice? What does Abraham say? God will provide. Now, at that point, at that point, Abraham, all, the way the story is told, all Abraham knows is that Isaac is the sacrifice. The ram hasn't showed up yet. So maybe Isaac is the sacrifice. It's still an open question when Abraham says God will provide. And so this story is also a story about absolute faith in God, even when it makes no sense to us whatsoever. And that can be hard. That can be very hard when your family is hauled off in a train car and gassed in the middle of the Holocaust. That's just one example, right? That's really, really tough. Notice several times in this story, Abraham says, here I am. God calls, Abraham, here I am, God. The angel calls, Abraham, here I am. Isaac calls, Abraham, here I am. Abraham shows up for life. (laughs) Abraham is living his life in the larger reality of God. And Abraham continues to do that regardless of what happens. Even when God says, go kill the boy, Abraham still is there with God. And I, I, I want to think about this topic more because what we're trying to understand is that there's something bigger than us, something deeper, something longer, something older, something better. Like I read one time, something began me which has no beginning. Something will end me which has no end. That's the reality within which we live. And even the hardest questions even the most disastrous circumstances, even the the strongest pain and suffering does not contradict that fact that we live within that reality. That reality is God. And in a sense, all of that hard stuff takes us to the place where we begin to understand that. Part of what the Bible is is just a wake-up call. (laughs) This is your life before God. There are unanswerable questions. There is, in a sense, unresolvable pain in life. But we live with the unresolvable pain and the unanswerable questions because we realize that there's something bigger going on. And we have no choice but to live within that reality. Now, the only choice we do have is to deny that reality. Say, there is no God or God hates us, or God hates me. He must love you because you don't have all the bad stuff going on in your life. But I have it, so he must hate me. I deserve all that. There's all kinds of things that we can do with that. At the end of the day, Abraham still shows up. Abraham still talks to God. Abraham still believes God will provide. What do you think was going on in Abraham's mind when he said that to Isaac? I'm about to kill this kid, but God will provide. What what might be going on in Abraham's mind? Yes, Martha. Let's get the mic. Thank you.
3: He has an amazing ability to know that this is not just about him. This is about the future of the world, mm-hmm. the world's people. Mm-hmm. And whatever part I am, God knows I don't. But I have faith that even through this, it's going to make sense in the bigger world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, Abraham does understand that much. He doesn't understand how it's all going to work out, right? How many of you can predict the future and understand how it's all going to go? Forget it, right? <laughs> so, yes, very good point. What else could be going on in Abraham's mind? We got two hands. Let's go there and then we'll come here.
1: Well,
3: I don't know exactly the extension of his Abraham's wisdom or um, thinking about things, but he didn't think about his wife and the test about God and all this scene, him and God coming together. I don't know how he told that after to his wife and what cause his wife to think, right? I yeah. would have killed Abraham yeah. if I was the wife. So they don't think about the other victims involved.
0: What's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, that, you know that's, uh, I had never thought about that. What about Sarah? What did Abraham tell Sarah? Did he tell Sarah? Maybe not. If he had told Sarah, she would have killed him before he went to kill Isaac, right? And, then and that would have been the logical thing. Yeah. Abraham, you have lost it. You're off your rocker. Isaac is the promise. Fascinating, right? Sarah's not involved in this at all.
1: Yes,
0: yeah. Just, really? Yeah, Sarah had been waiting a long, long time. Right, finally had this kid. You know, a 90-year-old mother. <laughs> wow.
2: You know, he told his, the two servants with him that they were going to worship the Lord. Mm-hmm. Abraham probably told Sarah that they're going to go worship the Lord mm-hmm. if he said anything at all. Mm-hmm. You know, he just took Isaac. My, my thought is Isaac is a child. We don't know exactly how old he is. I would assume he's in maybe preteen.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the impression that yeah. we have. You know, so, eight, nine, ten, something like that.
2: Does he, does Isaac just say, okay, dad, what is Isaac's faith in this?
0: Interesting question. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I have a lot more questions, but I can't do it right now because there's too many people. Yeah. But, you know, those types of things, you know, he, he, in the text, Isaac sounds calm and assured. Did he have faith in his father? Did he have faith in God? we it's not really clear, mm-hmm. but yet he, Isaac sounds like he was willing to participate in however the worship is.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. What's going on in Isaac? Y'all must have had your Starbucks this morning. You're gone. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, I just wonder if Isaac had so much faith, sorry, not Isaac, Abraham's had so much faith in God that he knew that when he got to the crunch, he wasn't going to kill Isaac. Yeah. He had so much faith that he knew something was going to happen that wouldn't allow God to do that. So Mm -hmm. I just wonder if Abraham felt so confident and had so much faith that he wasn't scared to go and obviously didn't tell Isaac what was going to happen because he knew it wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. I just wonder that.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that's that's a very logical, reasonable question and, and assumption in some sense, I would say that lots of tests and t- trials happen in life where things end up with Isaac being killed, right? The bad stuff does happen, yeah. Someone suggested that maybe Abraham, as he's going to this, and says to Isaac, God will provide... Maybe Abraham thinks, okay, well, I'm supposed to kill this son, and I will kill this son, and then we'll have another baby. I don't know, and clearly he would not talk with Sarah about that, but (laughs) there are all these questions, of course. To me, it helps to move into all these questions to get a sense of all the possible things that could be going on in Abraham and in Isaac, but ultimately we have to come back to what the text tells us and what the text tells us is that God actually brought a test into Abraham's life, about as big a test as he could possibly think of, right? What, what else could be harder for Abraham than to sacrifice his child and the, to sacrifice the one reason that he so long ago, you know, left his home and, and started wandering around, right? Uh, God tests. God does then learn And here's a question. Did God know what Abraham would do? God says, now I know that you have faith in me. Okay, now I know that you have faith. Faith, this is a commentary on faith as well. Faith is not just saying, I believe something. All right, it starts there. Faith says, I believe something. I like to talk about faith and faithfulness. Faith then is doing something based on what you say you believe. And if you don't do the something, then can we really say that you believe? It's an interesting question. I believe such and such. Really? James says, prove it to me by what you do. Prove it to me by what you do. Abraham proves that to God. Is God, is God toying with Abraham? Is, is God doing this for his entertainment? if we believe God is loving, which we do, then obviously the test and the real suffering and anguish, I would think Abraham would have PTSD too after this experience, right? The real suffering, there must be something that comes out of it that is more important and more valuable than the suffering itself. And that's the way I look at it. It is that relationship with God and that understanding of the way the world works. And I still am going to ask God, why does does it have to hurt so bad? And why do other people have to suffer so bad? But somehow or other, we end up just saying, either the option is to believe in a loving and all-powerful God or not. And if you don't, then, then all bets are off as to what you do with it. Faith says, I still believe this, even though there's all this other stuff that goes on. And eventually... In God's way, God wins. God provides. Okay, microphone up here and then back there. We're helping Terry with her New Year's resolution of staying in shape. This is good. piece of coffee cake. There we go. (laughs)
1: Uh, Think about Paul said that before he was born, God knew what was going to
0: happen. Yeah, yeah. Before he was born, Paul said, "God knew what was going to happen." Yeah, and look at how he suffered. And and look at how Paul suffered. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, back here to Mary. Mary, you had your, did you have your hand up? You were scratching your head. Okay, <laughs> you know that's actually a faithful response to this story. You kind of scratch your head and say, "What in the world is going on?"
2: <laughs> As you were talking about God and Abraham's faith. I also think it's a message to us of God's faithfulness to us, Mm -hmm. his promise that he had told Abraham that he was was going to be the father of many nations and that he would have descendants. So he is telling Abraham that he could be trusted Mm -hmm. in a very, very dramatic way. Mm I'm going to switch gears here. I have another question about the text that we read. Sure. The angel of the Lord said, your only son. Mm-hmm. What about Ishmael?
0: Uh, there we are. Yeah. What about Ishmael? Your son, your only son. Yeah. 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 So. Clearly, that's an affirmation that it is only this son who is the promise, okay. the fulfillment of the promise okay. to Abraham and Sarah right? Some people, you, you could take this text, might be stretching a little bit, but you could take this text as an affirmation of monogamous marriage. Mm. All the other ways that Abraham could have children were not part of God's promise.
2: That also goes further into the text when you're going on the genealogy that um, someone is Rebecca's mother. mm mm-hmm. That, and that was part of the line, not the boy.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, you have to be careful when you go those directions, but, but that, that lifts up. God's promise was to the child of Abraham and Sarah, no other, right? Interesting, interesting. <laughs> couple of other things. What? We where, uh, Say that again.
2: Next weekend, uh, I guess it's either 20, maybe 24. Uh uh, After Sarah dies, Mm -hmm. he marries another woman Mm -hmm. and has more children. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but again, it's not by Sarah. Right. And this promise is Sarah and Abraham.
0: Sarah and Abraham. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, all those other kids at the point that we've made with Ishmael, doesn't mean that God doesn't care about all those other kids right? This is is the way God's going to do it. We don't get to change the way that God's going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I've used a couple of uh, quotations here from other portions of Scripture to help us put this within the context of of Christian faith in some sense. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your strength but with the temptation will also provide the way of the escape that you may be able to endure it. Someone quoted that earlier in your, in your comment, uh, and, and rightly so. When someone else is going through something terrible, we love to use this phrase here as a way of helping them get through it. And it usually backfires because they can't hear that yet. In the midst of pain and suffering, right? The first thing you say to people is not, oh, you'll get through it. <laughs> the first thing you say is, I'm sorry, I care, I love you. And then you shut up, right? Because there's a whole lot that's got to that's gotta go on. And maybe it's not till the end of a person's life that they come to terms with what happened. And maybe they never come to terms with what happened. That doesn't mean God doesn't love them. Okay, It does mean, though, what Paul says here is true, that the resources of God are available to us to help us withstand whatever it is that we're going through. Every one of us knows people who have lost so much and hurt so much and still turn to God, right? And still find the strength to go on. So what is said here is true, and what I'm interested in is having those resources available to me or to you so that you can endure whatever it is that God is going to bring your way or allow to come your way or whatever you do that makes something come your way, right? Yes.
1: It's said that God knows every hair on our head.
0: hmm. Yeah. In my case, that's not a big that, deal. Well, that's, I yeah.
1: understand. But one thing that we all get worried about is whether God loves us or not. Mm-hmm. At that time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you're going through a really bad time in your life, you think, Did he, does he love me? Mm-hmm. But what happens is you're moving away from God, and he's pulling you back. Mm-hmm. And he uses everyone, not just the Christians. Absolutely. But he uses everyone for examples for us to either recognize his ultimate deity
0: Mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm.
1: And if we don't, we've lost something really valuable Mm -hmm. and that's hope.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. It is hope that keeps us going. It is hope in what, how everything ultimately, eventually will be resolved in God's favor right? That, that God wins. That's, that's the story. That's the message we get from uh, the New Testament authors as they were going to their martyrdom is, it's okay. It's all going to be resolved, right? And it's not just about sort of suffering through this life until we get to the end of it. It's about having that peace and that contentment and that joy and that inner strength and conviction, and that hope here and now. Here and now. Even in the midst of all the pain and the suffering. I think it is possible, I've actually done it myself, it is possible to be incredibly um, sad and lonely and angry and everything else, but still be filled with hope and contentment and joy at the same time. Right? 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 and then to keep on going, yeah. Last quotation. Um, This is uh, Walter Brueggemann, the primary theological guy I'm, I'm using for this. And I have it written there in your notes. In the end, our narrative is perhaps not about Abraham being found faithful, it is about God being found faithful, right? That was your point. God is faithful. God is faithful. Regardless of all the circumstances of life, that would say no. We say yes. We believe God is faithful to us, and that's the best news, because we're not God. <laughs> we're not in charge of the. I, I know a couple of people that do believe they are in charge of the universe. I have news for them, right? We don't have the power to make it all work out. The one who does have the power, the good news is, is faithful, and loving. And in the end, it all works out. And we live from that power and that strength now. Yeah, that's cool stuff, isn't it? Okay, we better pray. Thank you, God, for being who you are, what you are, and for calling us to know you, even as life is terrible or as life is beautiful. Still, you are God. Thank you. Amen.